Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello there again, my friend, and welcome in to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. I'm always glad to open the door to my tiny closet here in Columbus, Ohio, and welcome you in and talk about some things that are streaming and movies and television. I'm Clint Davis. I do that part of the show. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll be sending you up to Cleveland to hear from our good friend Andy Sedlak, who talks about what's streaming in music. And I know... This month on the show, once again, he's going to be revealing just another little batch of lyrics to live by. We've been kind of talking about this for the last few editions here on the show. And he's got one song in particular that I love from Bruce Springsteen, one of my absolute favorites. Fantastic song. But if you have any submissions, if there are lyrics that you live by, ones that you just you turn up every time, ones that give you chills every time you hear them, then please send them on to Andy. He would love to... Uh, I'm sure mentioned them here on the show, feature them. Maybe it's too personal for you to have it broadcast, but I'm sure you'd love to hear kind of uh, what what lyrics it is that really get you going. Uh, you can send those to him at sedlackjournal at gmail.com. You can reach me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. You can also find me on YouTube at Overdue Review, and you can find me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis. Andy's on there at Andy Sedlak. Always glad to talk to you, my friend. Thank you very much for supporting little podcasts like ours. Uh, we always mention the fact that we're pro bono, man. We do this thing. Uh, I mean, not only is it free for you, we don't get any uh, any revenue from it. And it's not like we're trying to wear that as a badge of honor or anything like that. But Andy and I, I mean, we work day jobs and we have lives and this is just something that we've been doing for years and and the two of us go back to you know broadcasting a long time ago back to our college radio days together so it's just something that uh we love doing and it's it's great that uh, you love listening to it as well my friends so uh, please spread the word al- around i mean the, the podcast sector is so full, it's ridiculous. I mean, everyone has one. And now even Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama have one together. So I, I don't know how little guys like us are supposed to uh, make any headway whatsoever. The, the great thing about podcasting back in the day, and I've, I started podcasting when I was 18, 2006. And I was a teenager and just got a microphone, a little sure USB microphone. And I had my computer, it had GarageBand on it. And so I was like, you know, I can use this. And 
the Apple iTunes store was accepting podcast submissions and it was just, I always wanted to broadcast anyway. And so it just seemed like a cool way to do it without really a lot of overhead and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of tinkering from anybody and any, I didn't need any permission from anybody really. Uh, and my show got accepted and I was so thrilled. It was one of the greatest days of my life. And I did this show when I was a teenager where I just kind of talked about life. But anyway, back then it was very different. It was like nobody really podcasted. It wasn't a thing that no anyone made money off of. It was just like people did it because they just loved to talk and tell stories and, and whatever. And it was just this kind of like blogging, I think, was. But then, of course, blogging became a thing where people just made so much money on it. And then like podcasting now is just huge. Like every celebrity has to get in on it and – you know, they have these like billions of subscribers on there where they just sit and bullshit and talk about really nothing. Uh, but people eat it up and they make so much money. So it, it kind of sucks for little guys like us who just come on here and do it. But it's not we're not really competing with them. So I guess it doesn't matter. But anyway, there's my rant on podcasting. But I hate to sound like a dinosaur, but I've been doing this for a long time. So it, it, I'm proud to keep doing it. And uh, I know Andy loves doing it as well. I think I can speak for him on that. All right, as we get rolling here on the show, i got a lot of good movies to talk to you about this month. We're not going to talk really about any TV shows. I'm going to tell you about uh, several movies that I've watched here in the last month that uh, are streaming in various ways and uh, that I recommend all three of them in different ways and at different levels of recommendation, I would say, and I'll explain that in just a little bit. Of course, later on, I'll also give you some movies that are streaming on Netflix, on Hulu, on Amazon Prime, and on HBO Max that I recommend you watch as soon as you can. I, get, I like to give you something serious and something funny. So I uh, try to give you something for a couple of different tastes there, no matter uh, what it is you might be in the mood for. But let's start off, as we always do, by paying homage to the greatest TV show theme songs of all time in a little segment that I creatively call the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And number 61, our 61st entry into the canon of the greatest TV show theme songs ever. Man, I gotta tell you, some of the best TV theme songs are just unabashed sing-alongs. Am I right, my friend? They just make you feel good and they make you want to belt out those lyrics as you settle in for 30 to 60 minutes on your ass of sometimes mindless entertainment but when that theme song comes on man you just want to sing every damn lyric of it the 1980s to me was like the golden age of this kind of opening to themes like all these theme songs were just like these big songs that were like written by these great songwriters and they had these great la studio session musicians in there recording them and they're just these tight little rock songs soft rock songs usually that would end up being on the radio and but they would cut them down to like you know a 30 to 60 second version for the tv show and they ended up being like these just great songs that got stuck in your head. And sometimes they overshadowed the shows themselves. And that's exactly what happened with this one. We're going to go back to the height of soft rock, yacht rock, like AM radio in 1981 when ABC kicked off its short-lived and somewhat high-concept comedy drama called The Greatest American Hero. Myself. 
you know those opening lines very well. Even if you've never seen an episode of this show, you probably know those opening lines. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. It's a great opening to, to a song, no matter if it was opening a TV show or not. Those are, those are great lyrics to open a song. Is it a couplet? Am I, am I remembering my uh, am I remembering my high school English class, poetry class uh, phrasing correctly? I, I'm not sure, but either way, it's just a great way to open a, a song. The theme song from The Greatest American Hero is truly one of those TV themes that has eclipsed the show that it represented in terms of its pop culture shelf life. And this song lulls you in with that soft little opening. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. And then you're you're kind of just bouncing along. Like I said, it's yacht rock. You're just you, you're feeling the breeze a little bit. You're going along. And then before you know it, it's full bore into one of the most singable hooks in 80s rock history and do not be shy, my friend. Go ahead, turn it up and sing along with me and Joey Scarberry right now. Suddenly I'm a Damn, that is great stuff. I mentioned that this song was by a guy named Joey Scarberry, and I had never heard of him. Look him up on Google, like if you don't know anything about Joey Scarberry. And if you do, then I don't know, maybe you should take Andy's job because you are you might be more of a music nerd even than him because this is a guy I had never even heard of. But he, I looked him up, and he basically, he looks like a like 1970s porn star. But this guy was like a, a pop star, I guess, at some point. But I'll get into, let's get more into Joey Scarberry. So I had never heard of him, so I, I researched him a little bit. And this song was by far his biggest hit. He did have two other top 100 singles. The first one came in 1971. So it was 10 years before this show comes out in 1981 and this song is released. 10 years after he has this song that doesn't even crack the top I think it was like number 72 or something like that from what I saw. So it's like barely a hit. Anyone, No one probably remembers it. Ten years later, he gets the call to do this song. I don't even know how that must have happened. I couldn't find any details on that. But then the other hit song that he had came later in 1981 after the success of this track. So I'm sure it was riding the coattails a little bit. Neither of those other two songs cracked the top 40. But believe it or not, went all the way to number two. Is there any doubt that it went to number two? I mean, when you hear that, I mean, my God, the only thing you're wondering about is how in the hell did it not go to number one? And the reason is the all-time iconic, uh, once again, soft rock ruling in the early 80s. Lionel Richie, Diana Ross, Endless Love is the song that kept it off of number one. So it's hard to top Endless Love. Again, another great sing-along, another great karaoke song, but still, it's kind of sad that Believe it or not, didn't make it to number one. The song itself was written by the god of TV theme writing himself, Mike Post, 
who did Law and Order and NYPD Blue and the Rockford Files, among others. He did the A-Team as well. This is the second of Post theme songs that we featured in this segment after the Rockford Files, which we had in August 2019. That was episode number 70 for anybody keeping score out there. The lyrics for this track were written by frequent Mike Post collaborator Stephen Geyer, who would end up leading the songwriting staff at the infamous show Cop Rock, the Stephen Bojko flop uh, that really took a lot of shit when it came out. Um, And if you never heard of Cop Rock, look that up, because that's a wild ride, my friend. But hey, no matter what little flops and failures he had later, you can never take this song away from Stephen Geyer, damn it. Greatest American Hero as a TV show basically sucked. It was about this bumbling substitute teacher who was played by William Catt. And this guy, the concept of the show is nuts. So William Catt plays this substitute teacher, public school teacher in L.A. He's given a superhero suit that grants him powers. And he's given given the suit by aliens that he somehow comes across. But when he gets the suit, the aliens leave. He loses the instruction book like right away. So he has to learn to use the powers using trial and error. He has no idea how to use this suit, doesn't know how to access the power safely. So he's just kind of learning it on the fly and just like nearly killing himself every time he tries to do anything. So it's pretty silly. The concept is very ridiculous and just seems so wild for a weekly TV series. It sounds to me almost more like a movie like this. That would have been a decent premise for a movie, but for TV shows, weird. But nonetheless, it was picked up by ABC and it ran for just short of three seasons on the network. It was not a classic show, but its theme song will go down as the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. The song has lived on in like many ways since, you know, that show was canceled back in 1983. My favorite one, I think, has to be in Seinfeld when George Costanza recorded his own version of it to play on his answering machine. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. I must be out. Before I pick up the phone, where could I be? <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm not home. A classic. And if you remember the Super Bowl commercial from this year with Jason Alexander with his face on the shirt, that was a really funny commercial. They played the Greatest American Hero theme song over it. And in case you were wondering why, it was that Seinfeld moment because those two will just, all, Jason Alexander and that song will always be linked. In my mind, I also always think of 40-Year-Old Virgin, where they use that song uh, in the movie as well, in a, a nice moment. All right, let's shift gears and get into cinema now, my friend. Even though, can we even call it cinema? Is anyone going to the cinema at this point? Are we just relegated to watching these movies on our TVs? TVs are impressive these days, but they're never going to be anywhere near as impressive as a movie theater. And the thing with movie theaters is it's not even about the screen size. Because you can get a big screen, and that's cool. It's about the sound, man. You can't. The sound is the thing you can't replicate at home that I have found. 
I've seen some impressive televisions and I've seen some impressive setups, but I've never had sound that was like a movie theater. And you could really use it like a movie theater because even if you did have a sound system that was like a movie theater, you couldn't use it to its full power if you lived with anyone because, I mean, it would rock the whole place. And, I mean, you couldn't watch any movies at night while anyone's asleep because it'd be over. So, uh that's the thing, man. I just I miss the sound of the movie theater as much as anything. I can't wait to get back out there. But there's a movie right now that's in theaters and streaming for the, you know, like heightened price, the movie theater price basically of $20, which it's not that $20 for watching a movie at home for a rental. It kind of sounds ridiculous when you're used to like rental prices being $3, $4. But you are seeing it like as a theatrical movie and you are getting to see it before other people and you're getting to see it like in really high quality nowadays. Um, And $20 is pretty damn cheap to go to the movies like no one's ever getting in and out of a movie theater for $20 unless you go like during the day and you go pretty much go by yourself. So it's just almost impossible. So. I think that some movies really are worth paying that for uh, to to watch. And one of them is the movie I'm going to talk about now, which is called Promising Young Woman. Uh, Beth and I caught a uh, screener of this just in the last uh, couple weeks. And it was a movie that she had been talking about for like uh, several weeks leading up to it. She had been talking about it before I really knew anything about it. Um, directed by first-time feature director Emerald Fennell, who you might know as the woman that played um, Camilla Parker Bowles in Netflix's The Crown, the most recent season. And I thought she was great in that. I didn't even know really who she was, but she was one of the actors that really stuck out to me when I was watching The Crown in this last season. Um, And I'll get to The Crown. I think I'll I'll give that one a full review the latest season as well, probably in next month's episode. So stay tuned for that. But anyway, Emerald Fennell directed and wrote this movie. So uh, this is a big debut for her because I think it's just one of the best and most confident debuts that I've seen uh, in, in recent memory. Uh, so this movie, it's basically, uh, it's it's got elements of comedy. It's black, pitch black comedy, uh, if it is comedy. But it's, it's really pretty serious stuff. It's dealing with very serious subject matter. What it's all about is Carrie Mulligan, who's a tremendous actor anyway. I've always liked her ever since, I I think Shame was the first movie I ever saw her in, that Steve McQueen powerhouse that kind of just left me like unable to breathe. Just an amazing movie. If you never saw Shame, Michael Fassbender in that, uh, he gives a tour de force, you know, should have won an Oscar kind of performance. And Steve McQueen kind of submitted himself as this great new upcoming director. And Carrie Mulligan's really good in a supporting role in that as well. Um, in what is basically kind of a one-man movie, but she comes in and, and does steal some scenes from the mighty Michael Fassbender. But anyway, I've always liked Carrie Mulligan. Um, the movies that she's been in haven't always been that interesting, but this one was really a, a chance for her to cut loose. I've never seen her like this in a movie, and this movie's got tons of attitude just to spare. What it's about, though, is that Carrie Mulligan plays this woman who is just about to turn 30, and she turns 30 in the movie, so she's, you know, late 20s, early 30s. And she uh, is a, a medical school dropout. 
And she was described as a quote unquote promising young woman all her life. Very smart, very good student, as we hear, you know, from the people that knew her in school. Uh, when she was in school, she didn't drop out because she couldn't hack it. She dropped out because something awful happened to a friend of hers. Um, and she was dropping out to support her, who was also a medical school student and was also a great student. But uh, the girl ended up getting sexually assaulted when they were uh, at school together. And she it was the classic thing. She told the dean and, and, and told everybody. And, of course, the blame ended up getting redirected at her. And the guy that she blamed, uh, the, the guy that she said did it, uh, ended up... Um, you know, getting off scot-free essentially and everyone kind of protected him. And it's the story that's happened a million times. It, it, it happens all the time. Um, and it's the kind of story that just has started to make news in recent years. Um, but you'll recognize the story and you'll recognize kind of what is happening here because it, it's, it's really ripped from real life. Um, but anyway, we catch up with Carrie Mulligan years later and she is starting to, she's obsessed. Like she's basically... She thinks of nothing but making the people that were involved in this pay. And so what this becomes is kind of a revenge movie as she enacts this really kind of elaborate plan to make these people pay in various ways. But she's not it's not the typical kind of thing like it's not the Quentin Tarantino or the I spit on your grave kind of revenge movie where she's just going through and hacking everybody up. This is not a movie where she's going around killing people. Even though you might think that when you watch the opening scene, which is a fantastic opening scene, you talk about the great opening sequences in the, in movie history. I think the opening of Promising Young Woman is right up there because it just made me it made my skin crawl and it made me like scared and um, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I don't want to reveal anything to you about what happens at the beginning of this movie, but it really sets the movie just in motion and in a way that it never stops the whole way. This is one of those movies that just gains steam almost all the way throughout. It did. It, it, there were a couple scenes that it lo almost lost me a little bit where it got, I think, a little bit too broad and silly. Um, but for the most part, this movie really had me locked in the whole way through, and I loved it uh, all the way through pretty much from start to finish because Carrie Mulligan is just electric in this role. You, you can't look away from her. And she's like an Oscar shoe-in, I think, as far as uh, someone that could win for this performance because she is that good in it. So it's a great star vehicle for her. But the movie is just, like I said, loaded with attitude. And what I love about this movie is that it doesn't let anyone off the hook, even Carrie Mulligan's character. Like, nobody gets off the hook. You always hear about revenge being a, a, a dangerous game and being something that you shouldn't really pursue but when you watch revenge movies it always feels so good and it, it's like they're trying to tell you like revenge is a bad idea but at the same time it's like they're winking at you and it's like yeah but doesn't it look really cool and doesn't it feel good but in this movie it doesn't feel good it doesn't look good it makes her she doesn't feel good doing this stuff she feels like shit she's like an empty shell of a person almost who just exists to make these other people remember her friend Remember her name and remember what happened to her when they've all moved on and forgotten about it. And it's not it's not even a distant memory. It's just something that they've it's like background noise. They don't even remember what's happened, probably because they don't want to. But she's making them remembering it. Remember it. And it doesn't make her feel good at night. 
it's not like she's bouncing home and like, yeah, I've done my good deed. She, she feels like shit about the whole thing. So it's just, this movie I think is, is really gets home why revenge is a bad idea. Um, but at the same time, you are rooting for her to do it and you hate the people that she wants uh, to make miserable. So, and you're firmly on her side, even though, you know, her methods are pretty rough sometimes and uh, she just takes no prisoners. It's a, it, but, but yeah, I, I like that the script of this movie, which again was written by Emerald Fennel. And so it's written by a woman. Usually these movies are written by men. They put a, a woman who needs revenge and it's like, she's been raped and that's always what happens. And, and so she's got to go out and, or it's either she's been raped or her child. Something bad has happened to her child. Those are like the only two things when a man writes a woman as a character. Those are the only two things they know to write as far as to give her depth and to give her things to be angry about. It's got to be some reproductive issue for herself. But in this case, it's not that. This is something related to a friend of hers and it goes beyond sexual assault and it's really just about an entire system that's enabling uh, things like this to happen that she's kind of fed up with and done with because she's a very smart person um so it, she's a really just a, a an interesting character and someone that i enjoyed spending you know however long it was an hour and a half to two hours uh, hanging out with when i was watching promising young woman um, the rest of the cast is fantastic. We've got a really good supporting cast. We've got Alfred Molina showing up for a scene, and he's fantastic in that one scene that he gets. Uh, Connie Britton was really good in the one scene she has. Um, Jennifer Coolidge, who I always love, she shows up for a couple of scenes as well and is very good. Um, you've got Laverne Cox is in it also, and Bo Burnham, who is actually, he's a stand-up comic, but he's gotten into filmmaking more and this is kind of one of the more serious acting turns that he's given but he's he's funny in it um he's a guy who wrote and directed that movie eighth grade a couple years ago i reviewed it here on the show and talked about how awkward it made me feel <laughs> it's just a really i think that movie was like almost too real uh too in your face too personal um brought back some bad memories but anyway bo burnham's in it and i, I enjoyed his uh part in it as well i thought he played it nicely um but like I said, the movie, the only way places that this movie lost me was sometimes when going for humor, it goes a little broad, a little slapsticky and goofy. And there, there's a scene, especially with the guy who played McLovin from uh, Superbad. He shows up and it's just like a cartoon scene. And obviously, I, I think it all is, is, is done on purpose. And I think she's showing how ridiculous these men are who are, are trying to bring women home and take advantage of them when they're drunk. And cause this, this is a thing that happens numerous times in this movie uh, to make points. And I think she's, she's making a point here, but it's like, she's hitting you over the head with the hammer. I mean, we get it, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it's almost just too silly at a point. And I, I and tonally, I kind of got lost a little bit as far as am I, am I supposed to be laughing here? Um, and there were a couple other characters who just kind of took me out of it. And, uh, Laverne Cox was one as well. I thought she was just kind of like mugging almost the whole time. Like anytime Laverne Cox was on screen, it was like, she was trying to get you to look at her or something. And, and that's weird for a supporting role, especially one that's not that big of a supporting role. Um, so I don't know. It was, there were a couple of things about it that were nitpicky, but, but I really liked promising young woman a lot. This was a movie that I recommend fully 
that I think you should pay the $20 to watch it. I think you would get out of it enough because the music's great. Um, it, it's, it's just a powerhouse movie and it's just got, like I said, a lot of attitudes, a nice looking movie. It's very well acted. Um, it's got a gut punch ending. That's one of those that I don't think you'll forget about soon. And it, I think makes some really good points about our society and about how we enable men and we uh, shoot down women. So this is just a really kind of a vanguard feminist movie for right now, but very well done. Uh, I can't wait to see what Emerald Fennel does next because clearly she's got a, a great voice here and she knows how to use it, man. And, and Carrie Mulligan, it was fun to see her get to play this kind of a role versus the kind of more subdued parts that she's usually used to playing, which actually I'm going to get to in a little bit when I talk about another Carrie Mulligan movie that I watched in the last month. But Promising Young Woman, now in theaters and streaming for $20. I don't recommend you risk your life to go see any movie right now. Um, maybe unless Heat was like brought back to theaters. That's the only movie I could probably say. I think it's risk worth risking your life to go watch Heat on the big screen. I might actually do it. But anyway, Promising Young Woman is a is close. I would say it's almost worth risking your life. If you have your shot already, then go check it out. But it's streaming for $20 right now on several, uh, you know, all the major streaming places. And I recommend you check it out. I think you'll, I think you'll really like it. I don't think there's anything about this you're not going to like. Honestly. Uh, just know that it's grim going in. Don't, don't look for the feel-good movie of the century or anything like that. There are some laughs in it, but it's it's pretty pretty stark stuff. But I don't have a problem with that. So Promising Young Woman, out now. My assistant says that you are interested in resuming med school. That's right. May I ask what prompted your desire to get back to your studies? I guess I couldn't stop thinking about my time here. Yeah, that's an extraordinary place. It's an unusual request. Yes, but I left under unusual circumstances. Oh. I left because of what happened to Nina. Hmm. Nina Fisher. You don't remember her? Maybe you remember Alexander Monroe? Oh, yes, Alexander Monroe. He actually just came back and gave a talk here. Oh, he's a, he's a really nice guy, really smart. Are you a friend of his? No. So you don't remember the accusations made against Al Monroe? I don't. He took a girl, Nina Fisher, the one you don't remember, back to his room where he had sex with her repeatedly and in front of his friends while she was too drunk to have any idea what was going on. She was covered in bruises the next day. Handprints, I guess you could say. Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who Nina spoke to? you all right i'm going to take a breather and sip some water here and pass things over to andy and let's hear about some more of those lyrics to live by what's he got for us this time take it away mr sedlak how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Springsteen and Obama have a podcast. <laughs> I, t- I told Clint we can compete with Mark Marin, uh, but but this is just obscene. Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama, you've got to be kidding me. But uh, look, we're going to keep doing our thing over here at Stream HQ. My name is Andy Sedlak, and I oversee music operations here at the show. And, you know, we've been talking about lyrics for the the past few episodes. We talked about bad lyrics, uh, and then we talked about good lyrics. And, and today, I'm going to share lyrics that are very personal to me, lyrics that I, I think you can live by, and certainly lyrics that, that have been a guidepost in my life, lyrics to live by lyrics that illuminate educate and resuscitate lyrics that cut through the daily grind and bring you an aha moment and lyrics that every time i hear them i consider something that i wasn't considering before and you can spend an awful lot of time considering certain points of view, certain images in song, certain turns of phrases. And these words hit hard because songs communicate in a way that we cannot do in everyday life. Advice is different when it's sung, when it has just the right music behind it. There's a fullness in that method of communication that is totally unique to songs. Speeches have their place. Sermons have their place. Intimate conversations have their place. And songs have their place. There are simply feelings that you can get across in songs that you cannot in everyday life. I'm going to share lyrics today that have been very important to me, and they fall in the following categories. Adulthood, religion, 
black culture, which unfortunately is something that I had to kind of go out of my way to learn about. Also country, as in the United States of, the, of America, not the genre of country music, just so we're clear. And finally, the last category is life, life itself. You ready? Weighty stuff. Let's get on with it. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. Let's start with the subject of adulthood. Man, I hate being an adult. We'll turn to the competition, Mr. Bruce Springsteen. I'm going to talk about a song called Racing in the Street. It uh, comes from an album called Darkness on the Edge of Town, released on Columbia Records in 1978. So what do these lyrics have to do with adulthood? Well, they come in the second verse after Springsteen introduces the setting of the song. Here they are. Some guys just give up living and start dying little by little, piece by piece. Some guys come home from work and wash up and go racing in the street. To me, this says more than every motivational poster that lined the walls of my high school ever could. It is the key to managing adulthood. Let's hear this in context from Bruce, and then I'll tell you why I say this. Now some guys, they just give up living And start dying little by little, piece by piece Some guys come home from work and wash up And go racing in the street Bruce Springsteen, Racing in the Street. What this says to me is, look, as we get older... We give up things. Little by little, we give them up. And sometimes that's necessary. Other times, it strips us of the human need for pursuit. As human beings, we need to pursue things. And if we don't, that day-to-day routine can turn into a rut. Color begins to fade. Experiences run together. We become disengaged. We can go on autopilot. I know I have. I've spent a lot of time on autopilot. It's when nothing sinks in. Nothing is affecting. Everything is just kind of okay. It's like we can see the end of the game before it even begins. And these lines in Racing in the Street remind me that we need to have a thing. We need something that engages us. We need a passion. And it's up to us to find something that makes us passionate. The characters in the song go street racing. There's nothing glamorous about that. But the fact that it's not glamorous is in a funny way the essence of the song's poetry. Your craft doesn't need to be lofty. It doesn't need to be profound. Does it make you feel alive? Does it make you feel alive? This character, at this point in the song, had something that made him feel alive. And when other guys come home from work, they sit around until they have to go back to work. That's not living. 
He was elsewhere, digging into something that made him feel alive. Loftiness, again, is not required. Winning a street race is not a lofty pursuit, but it serves a purpose. It engages the senses. It offers an element of surprise. It reunites us with the thrill of unpredictability. We cannot eliminate unpredictability from our lives. We can't eliminate pursuit from our lives. The song reminds me of all of that. God bless Bruce Springsteen, Racing in the Street. Now some guys, they just give up living. Start dying little by little, piece by piece. Some guys come home from work in That's adulthood. Now let's move to religion. You will see the great and mighty hand of God. If all of these songs have anything in common, it's that they're able to convey complex things in a short amount of time. A few lines here or there, the rise and fall of a piece of music, just a little inflection in the voice. All of a sudden, you're in the deep end. You're exploring a subject that scholars have written entire volumes of books about. Or in the case of this next song, Theologians. In the late 1970s, Bob Dylan converted to Christianity, and the music that he started to make afterwards reflected his conversion. Dylan is obviously a great writer. And your best writers are able to look at something and size up all of its nuts and bolts in a few lines that are easy to understand. Somehow these few lines manage to cover everything. Everything. And that is the case with a song called Pressing On. And although I, I grew up going to church, I, I really strayed once I got into high school. I, I couldn't understand the magnetism of church didn't understand the magnetism of church. I couldn't understand what drew people to church. And then I heard this song, and I got it. And I continue to get it. It continues to make sense. I've understood that draw every day since. Listen to these lines about the Christian faith from Bob Dylan. Many try to stop me, shake me up in my mind. They say, prove to me that he's the Lord. Show me a sign. But what kind of sign do you need when it all comes from within, when what's lost has been found and what's to come has already been? Now here's Bob doing it. Bob Dylan, pressing on. Minute try to stop me. Shake me up in my mind Say prove to me that he's Lord Show me a sign What kind of sign they need When it all come from within When what's lost has been found What's to come has already been I just keep pressing on I've never heard it put any more succinctly than that It made clear to me the role that faith plays in the life of the believer. It touches on the disconnect between people of faith and those who are 
agnostic, or atheist. And he says it all with power. The power of a rock star. It has a rock star's confidence behind it. That was not an attitude that I heard in the churches that I had gone to. But put it in the context of rock and roll, and and, and okay, now it connected. He summarized the entire New Testament of the Bible with that confidence in those five lines. Everything that I've ever read since. You can draw a straight line between it and that verse from Bob Dylan. It's that powerful. He is saying that faith is what makes the car go. Belief is what makes the car go. After hearing it, I no longer asked why. Because why is not important. Faith in the why is what matters. Those lines have never, ever left my head. That's religion. Now let's talk about black culture. My name's Brian. I'm from Tustin, California. Do you have a black friend? All right. Does Brian have a black friend? A black friend, of course. What's his name? His name is Alan. There's no Alan. Come on. Once again, I I grew up in a small town. Uh, Not many black people. And if you remember this from school, we grew up with just say no. Remember that? If someone offers you drugs, just say no. When someone offers you drugs, just say no. No, no, no. Drugs are bad, and anyone who offers you drugs is bad. Period. The problem with just say no, however, is that it didn't explain anything. It didn't explain the problem. Instead, it taught an entire generation that Drugs were not only bad, but the places where they did drugs were also bad. And pretty soon, we were introduced to the notion that drug use happened in struggling black communities. And it was pretty easy. We slapped a label on it. Bad. And while narcotics are indeed damaging, we need to understand the issues that led to the drugs. There are reasons for things. A song by Kanye West changed the way that I looked at these things. Once again, heard this for the first time in high school. The song is called We Don't Care. And before, I'm not sure I ever gave much thought to the issues in the black community. I was a young guy, small town. These things just weren't in front of me. But God, I listened to this song and I felt like I got it. I understood the arguments that I'd seen on the news shows. I understood some of the movies that I had started watching. The books that I had been reading. It put rap music in a different light. And by extension, I also started to piece together what white privilege was. There are so many lines in this song, We Don't Care, that it's practically a case study in urban neglect. Let me throw a few at you, okay? Here's, here's a line early in the song that always just always puts me on the ground. As a shorty, I looked up to the dope man, the only adult that I knew that wasn't broke. Here's another. The second verse is for my dogs working 9 to 5 that still hustle because you can't shine off of 655. That's a reference to minimum wage. We scream, rock blows, weed park. See, now we're smart. We ain't the way teachers thought. Hold up, hold fast. We make more cash. Now, tell my mom I belong in that slow class. 
It's better when Kanye does it. We scream, watch blows, we paw. See, now we smart. We ain't retards the way teachers start. Hold up, hold fast. We make more cash. Now tell my mama I belong in that slow class. And finally, at the end of the song, West sums up the entire situation. He says, look what was handed us. Fathers abandoned us. When we get them hammers, go call the ambulance. Sometimes I feel like no one in this world understands us, but we don't care what people say. We're drug dealing just to get by, stacking money till it gets sky high. We weren't supposed to make it past 25. Joke's on you. We're still alive. Throw your hands up in the sky and say we don't care what people say. Look who was handed us, fathers abandoning us. When we get them hammers, gonna call the ambulance. Sometimes I feel no one in this world understands us. But we don't care what people say. My niggas I know now, after doing a lot of reading, that this piece accurately sums up an opportunity gap in the African-American community, a gap that affirmative action does not correct. Programs not tailored to specific cultural experiences as if Americanness is one-size-fits-all, that has to be frustrating. As is being expected to play games written by people who have nothing in common with you, who in no way try to relate to you. And then they chastise you when you don't succeed on their terms. Kanye's song should speak to the outsider in every one of us. It should speak to the outsider in every single one of us. And to think, this was the first song on his first album. You don't make a stronger initial impression than that. And then when the album filtered out into the suburbs and small towns like mine, all men. Watch out. Now we're talking about the power to truly change perspectives. I know it did mine. We Don't Care by Kanye West. All right, let's talk about country, the U.S. of A. USA! 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 I would argue that no one has written about America's contradictions more eloquently than Jackson Brown. Some people have been angrier, some people have been more inspiring, but the contradictions that have been a part of this country since its founding, that was Jackson Brown's bread and butter. In 1983, he released an album, was it 83? I think it was 83. Don't quote me. But the album is called Lives in the Balance. (laughs) The first song on the record is called For America. For America. And in it, he says this. As if freedom was a question of might, as if loyalty was black and white. You hear people say it all the time, my country, wrong or right. But I want to know what that's got to do with what it takes to find out what's true, with everyone from the president on down trying to keep it from you. Now, that last bit always sounded somewhat alarmist to me, but but after four years of Donald Trump, it, it sounds like an understatement. But the verse addresses patriotism. Patriotism. What does patriotism mean? I spent my teen years in the shadow of 9-11. The Iraq war was, was part of daily life. And I saw people who assumed if our country was doing something, then it must be right. 
We are freedom. We are the good guys always. And if you questioned it, you were unpatriotic. You were anti-American. You were weak. You were soft. That never sat right with me. And I couldn't really put my finger on it. It just came out as sort of me saying, but, 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 but I, I couldn't quite, I, I couldn't quite get there, right? I was a young guy. Didn't feel right, but I couldn't articulate why. I was, I was a high schooler, remember? And then I heard this song. And it's like, that was what I was trying to say. <laughs> so let's hear that verse again. This time from the man, Jackson Brown. As if freedom was a question of might. As if loyalty was black and white You hear people say it all the time My country wrong or right I want to know what that's got to do With what it takes to find out what's true With everyone from the president on down Trying to keep it from you It put words to the sentiment I already had in my heart And ever since, I carried a more nuanced view of what patriotism meant. That verse impacted my growth and worldview more than any college lecture or or New York Times article. And he said it so much cooler, too. As if freedom was a question of might. It's about more than firepower. As if loyalty was black and white. We now know that loyalty is much more complicated than that. You hear people say it all the time, my country wrong or right. Now I know there's a term for this. It's called nativism. I didn't know that at the time. That song put words to to, to how I was already feeling. And the delivery of that song aligned with my feelings too. If I was going to say it, I wanted to say it like that. Remember, it's not just about the words themselves. It's how you say them. Jackson Brown, ladies and gentlemen, for America. It's got a pretty cool 80s vibe too if you're into that. As if freedom was a question of might As if loyalty was black and white You hear people say it all the time My country wrong or right I wanna know what that's got to do With what it takes to find out what's true With everyone from the president on down Trying to keep it from you Finally Let's look at some lyrics that delve into life itself. This next song is by Jim Lauderdale. It was actually one of the uh, uh, five songs that I recommended in the last show. It's called Patchwork River. And buddy, God, it's a winner. Heard Joe Farmer say, excuse me please Those were the days, but so are these Pull over park, turn off the key Let's go walking just you and me Those were the days, but so are these I love that line. Anytime I start feeling overly nostalgic I think about that line and, and I kind of bring myself back into the present. This song is such a gift because every time I hear it, I feel perfectly balanced. Like nothing can throw me off. I have a sense of, of confidence in my own experiences and I simply bond with the song itself. It's like we are one. Sometimes always, sometimes never Been this way damn near forever Promises that don't deliver 
Let's head down to Patchwork River. Sometimes always, sometimes never. Been this way damn near forever. Promises that don't deliver. Let's go down to Patchwork River. The entire song, I mean the entire song, is nothing but truth bombs. And you don't hear truth bombs very often. This song is like five straight minutes of truth bombs. What is a Patchwork River? The Patchwork River is life. More specifically, it's all of the consistencies, small and large, that make up daily life. The things that are true generation after generation, era after era. There are lessons that sooner or later we all learn um, from that person or that person or that person. From different sources, in different places, at various times. And together... They form a sort of patchwork of truth that guides us from day to day. But Jim Lauderdale doesn't merely state the obvious. That would hardly be profound. But he and Robert Hunter, who co-wrote this song, Hunter um, was, was in The Grateful Dead. They wrote the song together. They wrap all of these things up in like a, a poetic poignancy. So they hit different. They hit truer, harder, elegantly direct. Heard Joe Farmer say, don't be shy. Same rules apply as in days gone by. Styles may vary in the lingo bend. What it all boils down to in the end. Pay your dues. Take your chance. Don't mistake hunger for romance. Forgiveness is nifty, but enough's enough. When they keep on pulling that same old stuff. Heard your farmer say, don't be shy. Same rules apply as in days gone by. Styles may vary and the lingo bend. What it all boils down to in the end. Pay your dues and take your chance. Don't mistake hunger for romance. Forgiveness is nifty, but enough's enough. When they keep on pulling that same old It's the poetry of the common man, which is more or less what I am, and more or less what my friends are, too. And and I've talked about this with other songs, but the flow, the lean, the tilt, the angle of the music, the sound of a midnight stroll through the woods, or the sound of driving at night with the windows down, the sound of it all coming together, the sound of realization. That's what the song sounds like. It's the sound of realization. When I first heard this song, I, I was doing a lot of traveling. I was in college. And, and I always used to listen to it uh, when I was on the plane. And so when I hear it now, I, I still get the sense of wheels touching down. Here's the concluding verse. Heard Joe Farmer say, just in case you feel like cutting right to the chase, I would never stand in your way, but there's one thing I want to say. What you do for love alone will last. The rest just clutters up your past. And if you don't know that much by now, you're never going to learn it anyhow. That's it right there. (laughs) That's it. Heard Joe Farmer say, just in case you feel like cutting right to the chase, I would never stand in your way. But there's one thing I want to say. What you do for love alone will last The rest 
just clutters up your past If you don't know that much by now You're never gonna learn it anyhow Patchwork River, Patchwork River Hidden in an obscure country rock song Proof indeed that miracles exist That's it Lyrics to live by as categorized by adulthood, religion, black culture, country, and life itself. I hope you enjoyed. All right, friends, we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. Every month we add five more songs to the playlist, which you can find and enjoy on Spotify. Uh, All right, let's do it. Here are five more. The first is, Is This Love by Bob Marley. Is this love, is this love, is this love, is this love that I'm feeling? Next, an instrumental, The End of a Love Affair by Wynton Marsalis. Rags to Riches by Tony Bennett. Must I forever be a beggar Whose golden dreams will not come true Or will I go from rags to riches My fate is up to you And Yard Sale by Sammy Kershaw. Oh, they're sorting through what's left of you and me. Thank you, Clint, for recommending that one. And finally, It's Last Time I Checked by Nipsey Hussle. Last time that I checked, it was five chains on my neck. It was no smut on my rep. Last time that I checked, I was selling zones in the set. Make a quarter mil, no sweat. Last time that I checked. I'm the streets voice out west, legendary self-made progress. Last time that I checked, first you get the money, the respect, and the power in the hoes come next. Last time that I checked, I've been self-made from the dribble. That's it. Thanks so much. Appreciate you listening. I'm gonna toss it back to Clint. Feel free to reach out anytime. Sedlackjournal at gmail.com. Would love to hear your thoughts. All right. Be good. Stay safe. See ya.
Always good to hear from Andy. Again, reach out to him at sedlackjournal at gmail.com. And you can find him on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. If you want to see what he's up to, because usually he'll show you kind of what he's listening to. Just like I'm usually uh, showing you what I'm watching on Instagram. He shows you a lot of times what he's listening to as he spends obscene uh, amounts of money on bootleg vinyl. Meanwhile, I spend every cent I have on... It used to always be buying used movies, uh, but I haven't been able to do that in so long as I can't just go and browse. That was like my version of therapy uh, for over the years, over like the last decade. It was just I'd go to Half Price Books and look through every DVD spine they had and pull out the ones I wanted. But I haven't been able to do that in so long. So now I just spend all my money on all the streaming services that are available out there, including Netflix, which... Uh, in the last month, I watched a, a new movie that they debuted. They're doing this ambitious thing where every week they debut a new movie during 2021. So uh, I give them credit for that because they are making, I think, they're, they keep raising their subscription prices. But I think they're making it worth it because they're giving you a lot of stuff that you're not going to find anywhere else. And one of those movies that they released at the early part of this year is a period drama called The Dig. And this is a movie that stars, once again, Carrie Mulligan. We were just having a little Carrie Mulligan movie fest in the last month, as you can see here at the Davis Homestead. Uh, Carrie Mulligan and Ray Fine are the two leads in this one. And yeah, two very good actors. Lily James is also in it, who I love. Lily, Lily James is one of those actors that... It, to me is like underrated she she can do anything i think you put her in anything and she's great cinderella baby driver um this movie i i mean she's she just one of those like i think you could put her in an action movie and she could pull it off which i guess baby driver was but she wasn't really like a big ass kicker in it but i think she could be and i would i would believe her but she can do the the romantic comedies the romantic dramas she can do anything i love lily james so it's a really good cast of Carrie Mulligan, Ray Fine, Lily James. And this movie is based on a novel, apparently. I've never read the book, but it's about a real event from history where this woman, it's the, the part played by Carrie Mulligan, who is stricken with an illness, and she's um, a widow, and she's well off. She has a lot of land in uh, England. She lives with her son, it's just her and her son and, like, her staff here at uh, her house. But she wants to leave some kind of bigger mark, and they live on this land that they always wanted to dig on. They bought this land in England because they thought there were going to be some archaeological finds in it because there are these kind of mounds all over the land. And so they always wanted to dig, but they never did because her husband was killed uh, in the war. So it was just kind of like everything kind of went on the back burner and they had a kid and, you know, I mean, life happened to her. But now she's kind of reaching the end of her own life here and she wants to uh, finally dig. So she hires Ray Fine, who is this kind of archaeologist who's like a self-taught archaeologist. He doesn't have formal training for many of the great schools in England, but... You know, he's done a lot of digs himself and he like worships the dirt. He's just this guy just lives for digging in the dirt. It is what he the history. He just breathes it in. It's all he cares about. He doesn't care about the prestige, doesn't care about the money that's going to come from the things that he digs up. He just wants to dig and find things in the dirt and and see things that no one else has seen in hundreds of years, if not thousands 
of years. That's what gets him going. That's all he cares about, really. So again, we've got kind of an obsessive character here, which is kind of a theme with uh, all three of the movies that I'm going to talk about on the show today. But so she hires him, and there's some controversy that goes along with that as well, which you'll find out if you watch the movie. But he starts digging and eventually uncovers what turns out to be like the biggest archaeological find um, in like English history, one of them in, in like as far as on someone's private land. And this is a, a true story, I guess. This dig is very famous. Like anyone who's into archaeology and anyone who's into, you know, English history and, and into, you know, kind of museums out there and their collections and whatever uh, knows about this story. But I didn't know anything about this story. And I guess since it's based on the novel, it's, it's dramatized a little bit. So, I mean, there are things here that are embellished this is not like a straight up just all true but it but it's it's pretty much like it's all based on true people real people and their names are the same and um things about their character are the same as they were in real life so that adds you know another thing to this movie that i think is great this is one of those movies that you can watch like if you're looking for a movie to like watch with your parents that everyone will like the dig is kind of a perfect movie for that because your parents will like it and you will like it. I'm not trying to knock the movie by saying that because that kind of could sound like an insult, but whereas promising young woman is the kind of movie you probably want to watch with yourself, your spouse, um, your friends, not necessarily mom and dad. I don't know if they're going to dig it as much. The dig is one of those movies that you take over and you watch with your parents, your grandparents, whatever, and everyone likes it because it's just one of those well-made little period movies that tells an interesting story and it's got nice characters and it's beautifully shot. It's very well acted. I thought this movie was acted like the acting in it was like better than it needed to be really because this isn't, I mean, it's a good story, but it's not like the greatest story of all time or anything like that. And it's not going to have you biting your nails or anything, but the acting is just tremendous. Like Ray Fiennes gives it all. He gives it his all and, and Carrie Mulligan as well gives it her all and lily james is fantastic everybody in it i thought every supporting player was very good and memorable um and the story is interesting it's something i had never heard before and it's going to intrigue history buffs uh for sure the only knock i have against the dig i thought it felt very rushed as far as its plotting goes uh and i think that comes from you know you're adapting a novel and we all have been there you've read the book and then you watch the movie and you're like Man, they left out so much stuff because it's just the the way it goes. You have to. You can't. I mean, two hour movie, and this movie was two hours, maybe a little bit more. I can't remember. Um, didn't feel long. It was enjoyable to watch. I just watched it on a weeknight and uh, just started it and finished it in one shot. I didn't pause it once, uh, which is pretty rare for me these days. But the plot felt a little bit rushed, especially when it came to Lily James's character, who ends up being one of the more intriguing parts of the movie. But she doesn't come in until like halfway through. And she's got like kind of the most dramatic personal arc of any character in this movie, I think. I think her character changes more and does something more drastic in the, ch in the course of this film than anyone else in the movie. But we don't even meet her till halfway through. We only know her for probably about 45 minutes total. And it felt like she was kind of the star of her own different movie, which wasn't even related to this movie. Like, it almost felt like there were two movies happening at once. 
And I'm watching the dig and I'm like, this would have almost been better as a miniseries, I think. Because I think there's enough here probably to do a miniseries. Um, everything just felt like it maybe happened a little bit too fast. But especially with Lily James's character. If you watch it, I think you'll agree with me on that. She needed more time. That, that storyline, that character needed more time to bake for it to really hit as hard as I think they were hoping it would. But still, she was very good. She's a pro. Um, but it was just a little bit like it, it was obvious and, and rushed, I thought. And I think it could have been a really impactful storyline if there had maybe been some more roadblocks thrown up and some more time to let it all kind of gestate. Uh, but nonetheless, this was really, as far as the Netflix original movies, they, their movies kind of feel a little bit slapdash sometimes, I think. But I thought The Dig felt like a good piece of Hollywood movie making. Uh, it was nicely done you know location shooting and stuff like that um beautiful scenery the english countryside and some nice history thrown in there and some very good performances on top of it all so i was in some touching moments also especially the ending very touching stuff um so i recommend the dig if you have netflix and like i said you're looking for something to watch especially with your parents or something like that watch it with them but if you're not if you just want to watch something by yourself this is a good movie to check out yourself uh don't let it slip by because that's the thing with netflix they, they'll put out these movies and some of them can be really good but they get buried because they put out you know 25 new tv shows every single week a new movie every single week now and they've got all the licensed movies that they have coming in every like new week basically and certainly every month, and then you add a movie to your list, and all of a sudden it's 10 spots down because you've added 10 other things, and then you forget about it and you don't get around to it. But don't let that happen with The Dig. This is a nice, really nicely made, well-done little movie, I think, uh, that I really enjoyed. So check it out uh, streaming now on Netflix. Robert! <coughs> you all right? <coughs> Robert? I know she's sick. I know it. There's nothing I can do. Why is there nothing I can do? I should be able to make her better. Well, you, you do. You, you do make her better. No, she's worse. She is. I can see it. <laughs> when my father died, <laughs> everyone said I had to look after my mother. <laughs> and my faith. I failed. <laughs> Robert. We all fail. Every day. There are some things we just can't succeed at. No matter how hard we try. I know it's not what you want to hear. I am stronger than she thinks I am. I know. Perhaps you can show her. One more movie that I caught uh, streaming that's brand new in the last month was The Little Things, which is this uh, detective murder mystery thriller that was streaming on HBO Max. It's one of the movies that's part of their deal, you know, with with uh, Warner Bros. Where they're bringing in their theatrical movies on HBO Max 
same price to subscribers the same day as they hit theaters and then you get to watch them for like 30 days on hbo max and then they're pulled off the streaming service and they remain in theaters for longer so i've been enjoying that just myself for not being able to not being comfortable with going to the theater in the last year um i know some people have had problems with it i talked a little bit more about it last month if you want to hear my thoughts on this whole thing but I think it, again, goes with HBO Max being a, a service that's worth your subscription. I'm finding just an endless amount of great content on there, and I continue to be more and more impressed with HBO Max every single month uh, that I subscribe to it. But the little things uh, Beth and I watched a couple weeks ago, and this was um, one that we both enjoyed watching. It was, um, of the three movies I'm talking about today, I would say it's probably the lesser of the three Um but that's not to say it's a bad movie. This was, I, the the press and the reviews of a, of it, I think, were a little uh, were very soft, actually. Um, but uh, I don't I don't think it deserved all the kind of shit that it got because certainly there are bits of it that are derivative. Um, I mean, it's a detective mystery. You know, I mean, that's the most derivative genre that you can get. Like, that's like the original TV movie genre. There've been uh, every detective story is essentially the same. I mean, there's only a couple ways you can do it. And this one also get, was getting compared a lot to Seven, and that's kind of what it looked like in the trailers. And it turns out that this movie actually was written in the early 1990s, so it would have predated Seven if it had been made when it was supposed to be made. And it's set in the early 1990s. So it's set actually when it was written. Um, but they make it now. And so everyone thinks, you know, since in the wake of Seven, it's like every movie's trying to be Seven. But this movie doesn't have a whole lot in common with Seven. There are some things. Um, and it certainly owes, I think, its look and maybe a little bit of its tone to that. And the weirdness of the performance by Jared Leto as this, you know, suspect in these murders. Uh but I, I don't think those movies had a whole lot to do with each other, to be honest with you. So if you're looking for a seven clone, The Little Things is not it. But anyway, this movie um, is not on HBO Max right now by the time I'm talking to you. It's now in theaters. Um, but the movie is about a sheriff's deputy in California played by Denzel Washington, who years ago was a um, homicide detective in Los Angeles. And he was like the hottest homicide detective on the LAPD. He had the best closure rate, just a great murder police, as they would say on the wire. And he ended up getting, you know, leaving the LAPD under some, you know, reasons that are explained in the, in the movie as it goes along. It's kind of one of the main threads of the film. So I don't want to give too much away here, but he ends up kind of leaving in disgrace and going to be a sheriff's deputy, up north in California and kind of being anonymous basically at that point and being kind of persona non grata to a lot of people like his entire life fell apart in the wake of this really intense series, this string of murders that he was investigating. And so Rami Malek now plays the new LAPD, the young, hot, new uh, homicide detective who kind of basically took Denzel's place and is the lead in charge of um, a, a, another series of killings that he thinks, you know, may be related to those. So the two end up working together a little bit and they have a nice rapport with each other. Um, even though Malik's character is told many times, don't have anything to do with, you know, Denzel's character, just leave him alone. Just ignore this guy. He's nuts. Um, just, just he'll, he'll wreck your career. He'll wreck your life. He's like just toxic. 
but Malik doesn't want anything to do with it. He wants to use this guy's brain and, and have him help him solve the crime. So they work together. So it's kind of a, a little buddy cop movie almost, but it's a very serious drama. This is not a funny movie. And then Jared Leto plays this extremely creepy and weird, just fucking weird, man. Um, suspect that they've really got a hard on for, for these crimes. So that's basically the, the thing here. It's all set in California. So it's got that really, um, I've talked about this before, that unique thing that goes along with, I think, the L.A. crime movies and the California crime movies. It's one of the reasons I like Zodiac so much. Just the There's something different about the really clear weather, about those clear nights, about the palm trees and stuff being the backdrop for really brutal murders versus a movie like Seven where the rain's pouring down the whole time, the city looks like shit, um, you know, there's no sunshine to be found, and it just all feels gloomy and heavy. And so many of these kind of stories are set in New York or something like that. But it's uh, there's something about the L.A. crime movies, and one of the reasons I love Chinatown so much is the setting. Um, and this one takes you to that. It's right in the heart of L.A., basically, and in, in Hollywood, uh, where these crimes happen. And one of the things that I liked about The Little Things is it was just kind of a comfort watch. It was one of those movies that, like, Hollywood, you remember, like, in the 90s, Hollywood would crank these kinds of movies out every single year, like these dark mystery thrillers where they'd have big A-list stars in them who would be in these kind of just, they feel almost, you know, generic, really. Because, again, they're just movies about murders, and that's kind of, like, the most obvious storyline that you can do for a movie. But those movies are so rare now. Like, nobody makes these movies anymore. Um, so it was cool to see, like, three Oscar-winning actors do a movie like this that's not really, like, the kind of movie that's going to... They're not going to win any Oscars. But this was a real, like, kind of blue-collar movie. I thought uh, Jared Leto was the only one of the three who came off like a movie star where you just couldn't look away from him. And I think, you know, he's giving... That's why this is why every actor wants to play these parts where they they're like a, a a criminal and just like basically a villain because they can really just get into it and lose themselves in it. And he does that here in the, in the way that some other great actors have done, you know, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter or you know, uh, Kevin Spacey as John Doe or there you know there've been many of them over the years where they just cut loose and enjoy themselves and and give this magnetic performance as this nasty person. And Leto is just very weird here in this whole thing. And almost to the point where it's like, okay, you're laying it on a little thick. Like, we know we're not supposed to like this guy. I mean, no one's coming away from it feeling like they like him, but there's just something about him that's just strange. I mean, the way he kind of sticks his gut out and he just walks like he's shuffling like a penguin. He's just such a weird guy. His hair looks absolutely disgusting. Um... And just everything about this guy is screaming, you know, that he's a killer. So it's, uh, but nothing is really that clear in this movie, which is another thing I appreciated about it. There's also some great supporting players in it. If you're a fan of Oz or The Wire, which how could you not be? Come on, if you love this show, how could you not love Oz and The Wire? Um, you'll notice some of the supporting players as well. Even McManus from Oz makes a little appearance here. I enjoyed it though. And I, I appreciated the moral ambiguity of this whole movie The you know, nothing, this is the classic deal where nothing's black and white. And that's again, a trope almost at this point of police procedurals and police films. You can't do a movie anymore 
where the cops are just good guys and the killers are bad guys and they're going to solve the crime and they're going to ride away. That that doesn't really fly anymore. Um, but this one really embraced the ambiguity of it all and uh, went fully into that. That's kind of what it's all about here is just how do you feel about bad things happening when you know, like depending on who it is that does the bad thing, does it make you feel differently when this guy does it versus another guy? Um, and another thing I enjoyed about this is detective work is the kind of career that's just obsessive and it requires a kind of obsessive person. And that's what this movie also gets at. Denzel's character is just a guy who is addicted to the job of solving murders and it has led his entire life to fall apart around him a promising career a marriage a relationship with his children who he doesn't he doesn't seem to give a shit about any of it it's a story that we've seen many times at this point basically the overworked obsessed detective but this character is almost uniquely focused i mean he barely gives a shit about anything in the world that doesn't involve solving this particular murder spree that he's been working on for decades or years, I should say, I guess, at this point. I don't know how, I don't know if it was decades, but I think it was, it was years at this point. And it's really ruined his life, but he still wants to solve it. And that's all he cares about. So, uh, the little things is not going to make you feel good when it's all said and done. You're going to leave feeling kind of bad. I'll just say that. But, uh, it's, uh, I enjoyed it. I, it was a little, little long, probably, but it looked good. Uh, it had some good music in it. Um, and it had three, you know, very good actors right up the front. I will say Rami Malek didn't really do it for me. I wasn't a Mr. Robot guy, so I don't know. Maybe I'm missing it, and I wasn't. I didn't see Bohemian Rhapsody. He was fine, but he just was a little, little try-hard to me, a little weird. Like, he didn't, his character was not interesting at all. So it was just like, he's a Boy Scout, and that's pretty much it. And I wasn't drawn in by him at all. Denzel's character was much more interesting. Jared Leto's character, much more interesting. But Malik's character was just kind of there. He was just kind of cardboard. Um, even though you could see he was trying to give him something, but uh, he wasn't pulling me in. So that was a big knock on this movie from me as well. And it does, it feels a little generic, but... You know, sometimes that's not bad, especially when it's well-made. And I think this one is well-made. And, and it's Denzel Washington. Come on. I mean, I'll pretty much watch him in anything. I don't give a shit how bad the movie is. He will elevate it. He's one of those rare actors that can elevate anything and make it uh, worth your time. So Little Things is now in theaters. I don't think it's a theater movie. I mean, it probably would look good in theaters. These kind of movies do play well in theaters. These dark kind of, um, you know, just creepy thriller movies, but I don't think this one's worth going and seeing in theaters, and I don't think this one's worth paying $20 to rent, unlike Promising Young Woman, so I'd probably wait until it's back on streaming, but uh, when it is, and if you just love these kind of movies, then you should pay for it and check it out, but uh, certainly watch it when it's on your streaming, because I think you'll like it if you uh, if you like those kind of stories, uh, the little things right now, uh, playing somewhere near you. Oh, hey, stranger. Tired of steaming up that glass? Oh, yeah. This is the part where I start feeling like it's a trap. Open it up, find out. It's not a pair of mittens. 
gonna take a look. You know you want to. All right, before I get to what is streaming now on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and HBO Max, I always like to tell you what the best thing I watched this month was. I've told you about you know, three different movies that I watched this month that I really liked all of them in different ways. Um, and Promising Young Woman was right up there, but I just I watched something that I thought was better. And the best thing I watched this month was Disney Pixar's 2007 masterpiece, Ratatouille, which I had forgotten was so goddamn good. This is on Disney Plus right now. If you never got around to Ratatouille, or if you need a refresher on how good it is, because I saw it when it came out, and I remember liking it, but my God, I watched it this time, and I'm like, this might be the best animated movie I've ever seen. It's got everything going. It's the kind of movie you could only make in animation. It is. It tells a great story. Um, it tell. It's a relevant message for anyone who wants to watch it. It's inspiring as shit. It's beautiful animation. It's voiced really well. Uh, all the characters serve their purposes. All the moments work. There's no wasted second. It's a perfect script. And it is the weirdest elevator pitch I've ever heard for a movie. I mean, just think about it. This is a movie that should not work on any level. Like... The idea of the movie, if you don't know Ratatouille, it's about a rat, a, a literal rat, who's voiced by Patton Oswalt, who loves cooking. Like, this rat is a, is a gourmet, and while all of his rat brothers and friends and his father are just, you know, rummaging through the trash and trying not to get killed and eating whatever scraps they can find... He is like mixing, you know, spices together and grabbing foods and combining them into different flavors. And he's trying to roast things over little fires and he's cooking. And so he ends up getting uh, finding a spot in this kitchen in this, you know, upscale French restaurant. It's all it all takes place in Paris. And he through this crazy way that works in the movie. Uh, is able to control a human guy who works in the kitchen who can't cook very well, and they have this partnership uh, that allows them to work together and cook together without anyone being the wiser. And it's just an insane premise for a movie, but it works so well. It is so creative, and this movie is just fantastic. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a 10 out of 10. It's, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. And it's as good as anything Pixar ever did. Um so it's pretty much as good as anything anyone's ever done in animation, I think. It's just a flawless movie. So check it out. If you miss, if you missed Ratatouille, or uh, it's even got great action set pieces in it as well. It's got a nice little romance in it also. So if, if you missed it for whatever reason, um, or you just need a refresher, like I said, check it out on Disney+. Plus. 2007's Ratatouille. That's the best thing I watched this month. Sorry, promising young woman, but you got beat out by... Remy the Rat, <laughs> voiced by the great Patton Oswalt, who I met one time uh, after a um, Comedians of Comedy show in Cleveland years and years ago. I met him. Uh, nice guy. Got my picture with him. All right. Let's get to what's streaming now on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and HBO Max. I got something funny for you and something serious. Let's start on Netflix. From 1987, one of my all-time favorites. I have almost every line of it um Memorized Eddie Murphy Raw, the landmark stand-up special 
that Eddie Murphy did after his well-received HBO special Delirious. This one went to theaters, an, a, a comedy special in theaters. It wasn't, it, it's not like it had never been done and it's not like it hasn't been done since, but this is the best one of all of those. This is the one that truly deserved to be in theaters. And I can imagine seeing it in a theater and laughing my ass off with a room full of people like we were live watching Eddie Murphy parade around on stage in a skin tight leather suit. This was rock and roll comedy at its best and it's hilarious a lot of it hasn't aged that well some of the stuff but you know you put yourself in that time in that place and eddie just delivers it in such a funny way and he's a young man a young brash black man who's just calling it like he sees it and there's just something about that that's refreshing and great and this movie made a lot of money at the box office for being just a stand-up and it's beautifully directed well done it's got that great opening uh, young Eddie Murphy, and it's got Samuel L. Jackson in it in one of his early roles. Uh, just a, a fucking great movie. If you never watched Eddie Murphy Raw, check it out. It's like the zenith of the stand-up comedy film. Yo, Michael's so famous. Michael went on television, and, and everything he says, the public believes. Went on television and said, I don't have sex because of my religious beliefs, and the public believed it. I know brothers was like, get the fuck out of here. And white people are going, that Michael's a special kind of guy. He's special. I mean, he's good, clean, and wholesome. Y'all believe it. You know how I knew y'all believed it? Y'all didn't get mad when he took Brooke Shields to Grammys. Nobody white said shit. And Brooke Shields is the whitest woman in America. That's Miss America every year. Brooke, fuck who you see with the crown. Brooke, you look at white woman in the dictionary, be a picture of Brooke like this. She's white. And this nigga took it to Grammys, nobody said shit. If I took Brooke Shields to Grammys, y'all lose your mind. Because y'all know Brooke would get fucked that night. That's uh, now on Netflix. Something serious for you on Netflix from 2010. Inception. There's a movie that I did see in theaters and will never forget. One of my great theatrical experiences. I remember just sitting there staring at the screen with like my mouth open, wondering how they did this shit and also what was happening. That, what, what am I watching? Uh, just blew me away. Christopher Nolan, uh, epic, you know, modern filmmaking at its best. Crazy, you know, premise again. Um, got some great actors in it. It's got uh, some unforgettable, talk about action set pieces that you'll never forget. That whole hotel sequence with Joseph Gordon-Levitt kind of tying everybody up. It's, this movie is so just perfectly executed as far as high concept goes. I just think they nailed it. Uh, and the cast is wonderful, and it's just a cool fucking movie. So Inception right now is on Netflix, if you missed that one. Uh, on Amazon for you, something funny from 2002, The Royal Tenenbaums, one of the best like little family comedy dramedies. Uh, this is a gateway drug to Wes Anderson. So if you have never watched a Wes Anderson movie, The Royal Tenenbaums to me is the best first one of his movies you can watch because uh, I think it just sums up the essence of what his style is all about and if you hate the Royal Tenenbaums then you will hate pretty much everything Wes Anderson has done so just stay away from him but if you love the Royal Tenenbaums then you should watch his whole catalog because it's more or less variations on this to varying degrees of success but this is one of my absolute favorites uh, it's the movie that got me into him I had never seen a movie done like this um, again fantastic music Amazing ensemble cast uh, with everybody from Gene Hackman to Danny Glover to um, Gwyneth Paltrow to 
Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson. Uh, ben Stiller gives a great performance in it as well. Angelica Houston. It's just a great cast throughout the Royal Tenenbaums. And it's just a cool, cool movie. I love it. One of my favorites of the 2000s. It's now streaming for you on Amazon. How about something serious? Let's go to 1994. True Lies. Not exactly serious. It's kind of funny as well. I mean, it's Schwarzenegger, but this is like the ultimate Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's lighter than Terminator, but it's still just as intense. And Jamie Lee Curtis is fantastic. Um, It's just great, like Hollywood, big, bombastic, big budget action movie making from James Cameron. This is uh, what he did before Titanic, right before Titanic, I believe. Uh, right before that swallowed up his life for several years uh and true lies is just a cool movie it's just classic man classic arnold classic 90s action filmmaking it is on amazon right now check that one out you will definitely will not regret that on a friday night uh open some beers and watch true lies on hulu right now uh something funny funny for you from 2004 sideways uh i just reviewed this uh, like a year ago on the show again this is one of those movies I go back to every so often and always fall back in love with it. It's hilarious. It's the one of the great road movies. The the, the bromance kind of thing is perfectly done here between uh, Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church. This movie was just you know adorned with Oscar nominations when it came out, including Best Picture, which is so rare for a comedy. Um, and but Giamatti just does wonderful work here. So does Thomas Hayden Church. Sandra Oh is fantastic in it. Virginia Madsen. It's just a great movie. Sideways is one of those really great adult comedy movies um, that is hilarious in equal parts. Also, you know, thoughtful and just wonderfully done. It's uh, it, it, it's just a great movie. I love Sideways all the way through. It's right now for you on. Hulu. Something serious for you on Hulu. Let's get uh, 2017's The Shape of Water, the best picture winner from that year. And um, I really liked this one. I remember Beth and I went and saw it in theaters, and I was just caught up with how beautiful it is. It just has such a lo- This movie has such a love for its subjects. And I think Guillermo del Toro just is a, a big-hearted guy. And I think he just loves the characters in this movie. And especially the one played by Sally Hawkins. He just loves her. And the monster, who she falls in love with, essentially, uh, is what this movie's all about. And he just has an affinity for both of these characters, and it comes through in every frame of this movie. It's a beautiful movie, also about kind of a love for movies and a love for classic Hollywood. Uh, I just was... The Shape of Water is a say love letter. It's a beautiful film. Uh, so check that one out, because... Um, it's one of the best picture winners from the last you know, few years that I've really enjoyed the most. One more thing I wanted to mention from Hulu. Uh, I was looking through their comedy section, and they had Cocktail listed as a comedy. Do not, under any circumstances, watch Cocktail and expect to laugh your ass off. That movie is grim. It has some of the saddest stuff in it. I, re- I did that. I made that mistake years ago. A friend of mine and, and I, we rented Cocktail because we thought it was like, oh, yeah, it's the movie where Tom Cruise is like throwing drinks around everywhere and he's like mixing, you know, cocktails and he's, you know, being a bar in a neon nightclub. And, you know, we thought it was just this kick ass, cool, like 80s movie with Tom Cruise. We did not expect to be so fucking bummed out by that movie. And Cocktail is a bummer. So do not get caught in Hulu shit where they tell you it's a comedy because it's not a comedy. Cocktail is very serious, especially in some parts. All right, HBO Max, let's move on to that. Something funny for you. It's really not funny at all. 
Um, the only reason that this movie's funny is because Wesley Snipes is so good in it that you just laugh at how earnestly he delivers some of the most ridiculous lines ever. 1991's New Jack City, one of my absolute favorites, probably in my top 30 favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's just a great script, fantastic soundtrack, one of the all-time great soundtracks. Chris Rock, young Chris Rock is great in it. Um, and just a brutal gangster movie. Um about drugs and about um, just a guy who is so hell-bent on power that he just forsakes and torches everyone around him just to get a little bit more power. And it's about the people kind of trying to bring him down from the inside and the outside, but he is an elusive target. Uh, New Jack City, tremendous. Cannot recommend it enough. It's now on HBO Max. You fucked up big time. You're incapable of running this shit. Six! your five dollar ass down before i make change and something serious for you on hbo max from 1990 let's go with presumed innocent this is a little courtroom kind of deal little mystery movie with harrison ford it's also got bradley whitford raul julia the late great raul julia brian dennehy's in this is also um and presumed innocent has a hell of an ending so if you want a good kind of twist ending and you like a, a, a 90s courtroom movie check out presumed innocent i think you'll You'll really dig that because uh, that one kind of kind of blew me away. 2011's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is also on HBO Max, and as you know, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I uh, put it on my best of the decade list. It almost topped my best of the decade list when I did that um, last year. So that right now is on HBO Max for you as well. A little bonus pick for you. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. I really appreciate you coming in and hanging out with us, my friend. Uh, as I said, we're the little guys in this thing, and uh, we just enjoy you guys enjoying the show and seeing the numbers every month does make me feel good, and hopefully you're spreading the word around and, and getting some new people to uh, enjoy the show as well. We try to give you just kind of a laid-back show uh, that just t- talks to you straight up about movies and music and television without being too pretentious about the whole thing or assuming that... Uh, we try not to assume that you care as much about this stuff as we do, but uh, just try to give you things that won't waste your time, recommendations that will not waste your precious time. So thank you very much for checking it out. Again, I'm Clint Davis. You can find me uh, on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, and you can email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. My co-host, Andy Sedlak, you can reach him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com, and you can find him on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. Talk to you in a month, my friend. Until then. Stream on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.